Have you ever met someone who genuinely made you feel good when you were around them? Who was unassuming, extremely humble, compassionate, and loving when they talked to you? Herb Hodges was one such individual who had a gift relating to people. Now, it wasn't something fake or made up. His heart for God poured out into everyone he came in contact with. Herb was 84 years old, born on April 6, 1934. Herb Hodges transitioned from earth to heaven yesterday, April 17th. Back in 2014, I had Herb on this radio show. As a tribute to Herb and the many lives he impacted for God's kingdom, I'd like to air that show right now. I have Herb Hodges in the studio with us today. Herb was born back in 1934 in Fort Smith, Arkansas. He has been on our Mid-South Viewpoint program in the past. been a little time since you've been in the studio, Herb. Always good to see you. Thank you. And it's good to be back, and uh, I appreciate the testimony about the old man. Well, you know, I was looking at your bio, and I guess I didn't realize that you grew up in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Yes. Uh, you, no, I was I was born in Fort Smith, raised in Fayetteville, so Razorback I, country. I was fixing to ask you, was there— <laughs> I've got bacon juice in my veins. <laughs> okay, I was just wondering <laughs> if that was the case. But first time you and I met, you were pastoring Cherokee Baptist Church yes. in Memphis— of course, you've pastored many churches over your yes. career. Kind of want to back up a little bit as we talk about those early days of your ministry and where your family, as you mentioned, Fayetteville, Arkansas, is yes. where you grew up, born in Fort Smith. What was your family environment like growing up? Um, moral, kind, gracious, good, but not Christian. They they they. They professed Christianity, but there was no evidence of of knowing Jesus. They were church members. They had been sprinkled and immersed, but there was no evidence of knowing Christ. And I was raised in that atmosphere, and I was a pretty renegade sinner. It just as it as sin developed, depravity was expressed. It became became extravagant, and then when God arrested me which is exactly the word that is used of Paul in Philippians 3. I was arrested. In other words, God put the long arm of love and the long arm of law and closed on him and dragged him off to the, to the, the cell of grace and put him in the jail of grace, and he lived the rest of his life there. The same is true of me. What type and, of work did your father do? Uh, he was an orderly at the Veterans Hospital in Fayetteville for 45 years. And a very quiet, gentle man. I never had a great relationship with my father until he became a Christian. I led him to Christ myself, but he was already 60, in the middle 60s when I led him to Christ. He lived to be 86, so we had 20 great years of friendship and faith together, which we never had before. So growing up, there was a strained relationship? No, it was not strained. He was too gentle for anything to be strained. There just was no open avenue of communication and awareness and relationship. And we respected each other, but there was never any great avenue of communication between us. Do you remember the first time that you clearly understood the gospel of Christ? Yes. I, I had heard it and had even memorized key passages, the Romans Road, things like that, the Ephesians 2 statement, things like that. But they never were real to me. They were rote memory things that I memorized basically for awards in Sunday school and things like that, and it never occurred to me there was to be anything beyond just the mental 
concession to those things. And then when I was I was in my 17th year of life, I, I met a boy who was a year younger than I, who was a walking, talking, loving, gentle, genuine Jesus. And I remember I was on the side of the swimming pool in Fayetteville, Arkansas, hot summer day, scorching hot, just overrun with kids. And I was a hellion, and so I said something. I took God's name in vain, coupled it with a dam, and thought I was very clever and laughed at what I had said that was clever and dived into the water. But when I came back out, he was standing at the pool at the edge. He just put his hand. I just thought he was helping me out of the water. We closed hands like this. He pulled me up. But he wouldn't let go of my hand. He just drew it right up to the hollow of his chest. And when I got enough water from flowing out into my eyes out of the way, he looked into my face less than a foot away. And he, in the most gentle statement I've ever heard, he said, Herb, do you know you just damned the only person who ever loved you enough to die for you? And I laughed and jerked my hand away like I thought that was supposed to be a joke. But that became a sledgehammer in my heart. I carried it, is this something, for nine months. It was like a, an exploding reality in me. And then on my 18th birthday, a man told me how to be saved. And it was like plucking ripe fruit. If he hadn't, somebody else would have come along that day because God had readied me to the point of ready, ready. Well, Herb, it was not too long after that uh, time on your 18th birthday when you trusted Christ that uh, you sensed a call in your life to preach the gospel of Christ. Yes. Uh, was that in, uh, intimidating? Where did you, were you afraid of that call? Were there reservations associated with that call? Well, Byron, I think it came simultaneous with my conversion, just like often happens. When Paul said, what would you have me to do? And the very moment he met Christ. So it comes simultaneously many times with the conversion. A lot depends on the quality and kind of conversion you had. If it's passive and you're a passive person, it's not likely to be a dynamic call to attend it. But I'm not a passive person. And the dynamism of the call was correspondent to the to the, the, the aggressiveness of the person. And God tamed me on the spot. And, and it, there wasn't any issue. I fought the call for three months because I did not believe I could do it. I just simply informed God, I think you put your finger on the wrong shoulder in this case. I can't do that. And then I realized he doesn't call people because of their ability. He calls them in spite of their disability because he wants to be their ability. And when I realized that, I said, I'll take your faith as mine. I surrender. And it's been one incredible, <laughs> increasingly paced downhill run the rest of the way. Herb, when did you first understand the biblical truth of discipleship? Um, it wasn't early on. It was a developing thing, and then, I, and then I began to realize when somebody began to articulate this, and I do not remember who that was, and it wasn't an incredibly massive, systematic statement of it. It was rather a kind of a model mandate. I saw it in a person and saw a few disciples around him, 
And I realized that this is the way Jesus lived. Now, what does that mean? And then when I began to explore the strategy Jesus followed, of course, it led me squarely to the Great Commission, which I had always taken by the traditional view that it means missions. Well, the Great Commission is not primarily a missionary text. It is secondarily a missionary text. And if we did the second thing as the tail of the kite of the first thing, we would practice better missions than we do going directly after missions. It's to make impact, It's to make world impact by building disciples and building into them each one the catalytic vision of world vision so that he starts the movement himself like a hand going out in all directions but from one stem point to the ends of the earth to the end of time. So here's the contention of the New Testament. One man, given the vision of Christ and the vitality of Christ in his life, and willing to victoriously pursue Christ and his purpose can impact the whole wide world. And that's easy to see when you follow a disciple maker around. You told me you just had Soup Campbell in here. Well, here's a leading example. He just returned from China on his approximate 20th trip to China, and that's only one nation of the world. Now, I think, I'm saying this carefully and safely and fairly and accurately, the last time he went, he took a team of 25, divided them into 12 teams of two each, and he was one team alone. They went into 13 provinces of China and have established a burgeoning disciple-making downline generational multiplication movement in every one of those provinces of China. Now it has spread beyond into Nepal uh, adjacent to China. So the, the possibilities of this are limitless if a person's vision and vitality agree with God. Herb, you mentioned there was the testimony of this young man that uh, helped yes. share yes. the gospel of Christ with you and really create a, a sensation of God's holiness uh, Absolutely. in front of you. Was there a, a similar individual that you saw that uh, was leading that disciplined discipleship life that that, that caused you to want to uh, learn more about uh, this relationship and this this uh, this discipleship life? Uh, no, I, I don't think there was a given model such as there was in my conversion. But the model in my conversion, the first prayer meeting I ever attended as Christian was in this man's living room. We were 18-year-olds. And his family just abandoned the house to all the 18-year-olds who came in, and they were, we were there until early evening, 7 o'clock till about midnight. So the first prayer meeting I ever attended was one, it, it was one birth thing where I saw the momentum, the motivation, the running track. I saw men walking with this dynamically. I saw modeled in him. He was the finest face-to-face soul winner I ever knew, and he's only 18 years old. So I had some incredible incarnational input into my life that modeled this, where, and it's contagious. So, And I got close enough that the contagion spread, and, and I've been doing this ever since. And here's what I say. When I get to heaven, Bob Biney is going to be one shocked guy because everybody that I influence for Christ is going to line up behind me 
And when they call his name, he's going to come. Then I think Jesus will say, now, Mr. Biney, turn around and look behind you. He's going to be shocked out of his boots. Where in this uh, part of your life did you meet your wife and you fall in love? Uh, Actually, she's a Memphian. So we've been married 30-something years. And uh, at church, which is the best (laughs) – the best womb for a relationship like that to be born and and uh it was the first time i ever ever held her hand we knew we had a life together and it was in agreement god had already put it in her heart but she's very mild-mannered would never have said anything to me i was the leader but i didn't know i was leading somebody already led and it has been i have never seen my wife angry Ever, I have never had an argument with my wife. I try to declare war. She's not a warrior. <laughs> so how do, what do you do with somebody when you start kicking, they just lie down and let you kick? <laughs> no, see, that's a Christian. He denies himself. That's a perfect picture of my wife. She is a person who denies herself. And it has been one. I would rather have her praying for me than any person on earth. And her last words when I walked out of the house a while ago was, I'll be praying for you while you're broadcasting today. Wow. That's a special lady, isn't she? It's a special lady. Special lady. Well, Herb, what are the non-negotiables when it pertains to growing in our journey with Christ? Uh, I think the the first uh, first thing, where are my books? Give me my Bible. You got my Bible back there? the first thing is to wear your Bible like it's an appendage of your body. In other words, adhere it to you like it's the, it is the most precious, tangible possession I own on earth. This is one of my Bibles. This one has been simply because it's small, easy to negotiate, it's flexible. I carry it anywhere in the world. But I carry another one. Get me the little black one, Don, out of there. I want them to give it. Get an. I want them to see an idea. This is my little disciple maker's Bible. Now I want you to watch carefully. I, I didn't know what I was getting when I got this book. I found it in a bookstore and bought it. Here's the page of the text, and here's a blank page. This now has sixty disciple making studies in it, and this is just one Bible of many that I use. For example, there's another one. See, they're just scattered through the pages, just like this. And what you see here, the text is over here. The outline and the illustrations are up here. And and uh, so all I really have to carry when I go, I mean, this is heart-written. It's written on the fleshly tables of the heart. But in order to assist my aging and decaying memory, I take this Bible with all those notes in it, and I don't only preach for cash anymore. I have come to use notes. <laughs> so it's been one fun run. I simply remind myself that fun is the first syllable in the word funeral. So I'm on my way to the downward western slope and don't mind at all. I'm anxious to see the bail part. I want to see all that crew on the other side and the people that have been influenced. And I want to knock a big enough hole that a bunch of people can come through. Amen. Okay, so non-negotiables, first of all, is 
the Bible. The Bible. Prayer, of course, which I think the best way to pray is to get a word from God, paraphrase it in your own words, and feed it back to him with thanksgiving and praise and honor, and ask him to incarnate it or enflesh it in your life. So the Bible, prayer, uh, vision. What you see is what you will be. What you behold is what you will become. You cannot become what you can't behold or you don't behold. You can't be what you don't see. So the most important thing in your life is seeing God, and I'm talking about spiritual, intuitive vision where you, in effect, can say, I have seen God. Now, any spiritual person will know what that means. It's not organic sight. It's deeper than that. The same thing is true of um, the concept of total world impact. Now, those are three key words, capital T, capital W, capital I. Total, total world, and total world impact. And impact is what you have when two jets collide at high speed in midair. That's impact. I believe he expects shattering impact to come out of every Christian to the ends of the earth in in, in reverberation, in, in the reverberating uh, cycle for to the ends of the earth till the end of time. Any Christian, and a person who's not doing that is not really agreeing with Jesus because he said all nations. And that means plural impact, but extensive impact to all nations to the ends of the earth and the end of time. So it's gigantic. Herb, you mentioned those three things as we look at non-negotiables, the Bible, prayer, vision, what would be the fourth element? Well, the fourth the vision means you get on your heart what God has on his heart by seeing things from his point of view. That's what vision is. It's not simply getting an idea about a ministry and, and formulating your own vision for it. No, it's agreeing with God. The only ministry it's really going to count is the account there's the ministry that begins with God and enlist somebody that will agree with him, and then their action is joint and cooperative the rest of the way. And so uh, they, there's total, total world. So here's my goal. It's to have influential, burgeoning, disciple-making impact in every nation on earth. I mentioned Soup Campbell. Well, my, where hasn't he been now? When I met him 26 years ago, he was a blank sheet of paper, but born again and thus ready, whether he eager whether he knew it or not. See, many people never get hungry until somebody puts a little hunger on their lips, on their taste buds. And so we began to travel together. We began to – he used to drive me. He called it driving Mr. Herb. And he used to drive me. If we'd go anywhere up to 300 miles, he would drive me because that way we'd get to talk and listen. To a 300-mile driving trip with two visionary persons sharing vision is so vitally alive, people would think it was an ambush if they were in the car with us. And it is. That's exactly what it is. Many, many Christians have just never been ambushed sufficiently with God's vision. And, and vision, then a strategy to accomplish that vision. The key word in all of this is strategy. See, if Jesus 
hadn't had a strategy, it would have not have made any difference who he was. It would have died in one generation. But he had a strategy of replication, reproduction. Ooh, but that's not nearly enough. Reproduction dies in one generation. It's multiplication. And multiplication, beginning with one, can lead to five quickly. And those five multiplying can lead to 25 each quickly. So it enlarges to the ends of the earth till the end of time. So I should have by far larger ministry after I'm out of here than I am while I'm here. What is it in your own life that's caused you the most pain as it pertains in relationships with other people? I I suppose the absence of the imparting of vision. I don't think I've ever had a real ill relationship with anybody. I, I, I don't remember that. I don't remember that I've ever really been angry with anybody, but I'm sure I have because my nature, my disposition, I'm capable of that, but I don't remember such. I've tried to live to be contagious, to be infectious. And if I'm going to be that way, I've got to have the disease so badly myself that it almost automatically infects anybody that gets close enough to it. And I've got the, this disease eats me alive. And, and, and I say disease, if you'll let me divide the words, dis-ease. I mean, I'm never totally at rest. I'm mobilized. I'm ready to hit the guy in the backfield and the other team. <laughs> and, and go after the enemy on his territory. So I'm mobilized enough that dis-ease is the order of the day. It's never just to sit down and rest and have no goal. It's to rest in him, and he's always on the move strategically. Herb, you've traveled to many countries in the world. Uh, where have you found some of the greatest fruit of your ministry or as a result of your ministry? Africa is the ripest continent on earth today. Africa and Asia South America is really alive, but they're far more advanced than these other places because they've had a history of missionaries. See, in the Western world, South, South America is close up, like Central America. So you would expect a flood, a spate of missionaries, and that's exactly what you've got. It's like um, the, the, the fields are white under harvest, but there are harvesters everywhere there. But you go to some of these places— and a harvest does not wait. It rots if it's not reaped. So we've got to go after these. The hottest space places on earth now are Asia and Africa, and we must capitalize that now. Africa is almost being raped by religion and twisted religion, distorted religion, false religion. It's almost being raped, but they're so open when somebody shows them interest, they yield to it. Well, we've got to capitalize that while the iron's hot. And that means we go after it now. So we need to see, I, it's my personal conviction, Byron, that every church ought to be a training institute, and the church I attend should have at least 100 trained teams who know how to impact the world to set in motion a burgeoning disciple-making movement that will impact that culture long after the team has departed. And this can be done. You give me a team, knowing what it's doing, like a Soup Campbell type. And we've got floods of them. But give me a team like that. Go into a culture overseas. Give us Monday through Saturday noon 
and teach every day from 8 in the morning till 11 at night or at least until 5.30 at night and then have an evangelistic service, if we cannot be used of God to change the, the, the direction, leadership, mind of those leaders and pastors and church members that come to those meetings, then we don't know what we're doing. My. I've never seen it fail. Knowing what you know now, Herb, what would you do different as starting out as that 18-year-old young man? Oh, my. I would give up the self-attentive struggle much more quickly. It's worthless, but the nature of the flesh is to improve itself. So it's, it, it compounds the problem by focus on the problem. I'm trying to get rid of these problems. Well, the best way to fester is to pick at the problem. The best way to overcome, listen, you do not overcome sin by fighting it. You overcome sin by replacing it. That's what Jesus came in for. He came in to swell up big enough in you that he pushes everything else out. Hmm. <laughs> and that's what being a Christian is all about. But we've displaced it with decent church going and passive pupitators sitting in a church building. That's tragic. If I'm addressing such a person now, do yourself a favor. Get your eyes on Jesus and ask him to wake you up, to get in on the strategy of his world impact. And it can begin with you. No, no, that's somebody else. Don't the person on either side or your pastor or your church. You, as simple as you are, as innocent as you are, as ignorant as you may think you are, yes, it can begin with you if you're available. See, he doesn't require your, avail- your ability. He requires your availability. And he'll do the rest. When you think about your own personal limitations, shortcomings, mm-hmm. lack of ability, as it pertains to God doing his kingdom work, how have you seen him override those obstacles in your own life to do great things? Uh, here's the illustration I, I tend to use. That if Jesus saves you through justification, the first key doctrine of your salvation, God imposes his righteous son over you as a wicked sinner. And God, from that point on, for the sake of your eternal salvation, never sees the sinfulness underneath the covering of his son. However, God is not going to take you to heaven on the basis of a bookkeeping transaction alone. That makes you acceptable there. He steps underneath that covering and sees all that iniquity. The word iniquity means distortedness, twistedness. It's like taking a soda straw and bending it out of shape so that nothing can flow through it. Well, that's the condition of man when Jesus gets hold of him. See, he wants a straight channel so he can flow through that person like water passing through a pipe. And when water passes through a pipe, it gets the pipe thoroughly wet. So the person through whom Jesus passes gets the advantage of his passage. But the destination of that water is not the pipe. It's flowing through the pipe on its way to somebody else. So you have to have the pipe moving always with somebody in front of you all the time and ready to just let him pour the rivers of living water out through you as he said he would do. While we're closing, I think we're closing, Byron, I want to say to you personally how much I appreciate. I can hardly say this. It's because it's emotional to me. I listen to this broadcast while I'm driving, traveling as often as I can, and the sheer majesty of your person orchestrating all of this and putting it all together is so commendable. I cannot 
I cannot adequately commend you. And I mean that earnestly, and you'll take it that way. You know that I mean that earnestly. I don't mean it in any way to build egos and personalities, and you won't take it that way. But this is a highly commendable work, and I commend you for it. God bless you, my dear brother, Herb Hodges. I love you. I love you. And I thank you so much for sharing with Bot Radio today. Thank you. Today's Mid-South Viewpoint was pulled from a 2014 interview with Herb Hodges as a tribute to his life and ministry. Herb went to heaven yesterday, April 17th. I'll never forget my youngest son, Joel, returning home from a Wednesday night junior high youth meeting years ago where Herb was the guest speaker. I've never seen Joel come home from church that excited. He didn't remember Herb's name, but he never forgot the way that Herb talked about Jesus and the way he related Jesus to a room full of junior high students. Now, that's a testimony for a life well lived, a life that relates to people of all ages with the love and compassion that comes from knowing Christ. Thank you, Herb Hodges. Until we meet again.